This is the Strike Mash Boil podcast presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week is Big Brew Day, and we dig into some common issues and troubleshooting techniques. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Phil. Phil, how's it going, bud? Good, good. How are you? Doing all right. It's just the two of us today. Yeah, we figured, uh, you know, we did this last year, just the two of us talking um, about a few things, and we figured we it's about that time of year to uh, do another one of these. Yeah, and, and seeing that we haven't done our quickfire questions, we're going to take the opportunity, since it's just the two of us, to run through our latest season's quickfire questions. So that ought to be a fun one. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I copied them from our, our sheet over, but, you know, I actually haven't looked at them in a little while, and we haven't had to do one of these for a couple weeks now. So um, I haven't thought about it, we're, so we're just going to roll with it. It's going to be off the cuff for me, too. Yeah, so uh, you go. I'll ask you go first. I'll go next. Uh, what is your favorite specialty malt? <clears throat> yeah, uh, so I'm probably some of the Caras, Cara uh, Pills. Okay, all right. I was thinking probably like Crystal One Twenty. That's that's been a favorite of mine. Hmm. Uh, what is your favorite hop variety? Galaxy. I think for me, it's either like target or maybe citra i think if you get a good man opposite ends of the spectrum over there i know but if you get a good batch of citra that doesn't have that cat piss thing i mean that is that's how i feel about galaxy i mean like when i think about hops when i think about my favorite hop variety i'm thinking about what punches me in the face and that is Mm -hmm. galaxy and citra the, the right you know yield of citra totally can do that Oh, yeah. What is your favorite yeast strain? Bell Saison. I think lately for me, I've been really digging West Yorkshire Pale Ale yeast, which uh, I think you might have had uh, my one of my recent Pale Ale batches. It threw some big, like, apricot notes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember that because of the apricot. It was wild. Yeah, and I, I've been kind of thinking about doing maybe a uh, um, a more of a New England IPA and use that West Yorkshire yeast instead of, uh, you know, kind of the standard issue London 3. Yeah, awesome. Uh, what beer style do you keep coming back to brew? Yeah, this one is a little tricky for me. I think somebody that answered this before said, I don't, oh, it was Carl, I think, if I remember right, said he doesn't beer the same brew twi- uh, beer twice. And I normally don't, except that. Uh, there are some barreled beers that I make. So I'm, I have a Solera barrel, which is Lambics. So I'm always brewing Lambics, and I brew Saison's most frequently. So those are the two that, I, that I'm always coming back to. All right. I think for me, I mean, I'm on batch 25 of my Cluster Ficken, which is my rotating New England IPA. It's not that exactly count. the that same. That count, right? Does that count? Uh, I mean, it's the same base Ruby recipe. Ruby Mild, just, you make, how many, like yeah. you've repeated that Ruby Mild recipes a uh, bunch of at times. At least once or twice a year, yeah. And it's the same recipe. Like the Absolutely same recipe, yeah. changes I just changed dramatically. the hops. Yeah, I changed the hops, but the base malts kind of stay the same. Uh, what is the most intimidating beer style to brew? 
for me, it's a lambic. I mean, so yeah. because I'm talking traditional lambic that right. you're putting years of time into and praying to the gods that that you know year of time didn't go to shit. And you got to have some. I mean, do you use like old hops as well? I do. Oh yeah, I I always throw a couple of bags. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like I, I'm acting like people can actually see what you see, but they can't. They can only hear me. But behind me is my like kegerator fridge. I'm in the basement tonight doing this recording, and I always throw a bag or two up on top of the fridge and let them sit there for years. Yeah. So you're always ready. Yeah. Uh, for me, check pale lager like Czech Pilsner lately has been uh, tough for me just because I've been trying to get past some uh, diacetyl uh, issues there though I think I finally nailed it but English bitters I still haven't like nailed a really good bitter recipe that I'm I'm happy with especially like when I'm out at um, you know some of our locals have have bitters out there nowadays and and I just haven't nailed it yet so well, and some of those English beers, there isn't much to hide behind either, you know. No, so that's yeah. what makes them so intimidating. And you can be off just a little bit in mash temperature and not get a good, you know, the body can be too thin. I mean, it, it's they're they're tough beers to brew, especially when it's like three percent. Oh yeah. What's the worst thing you ever brewed? <sighs> I'm gonna catch some flack for this one. I'm gonna I'm. I'm God, I can already hear. I can already hear the the voicemails we're gonna get for this. Okay, <laughs> do you ever, do you ever try the Skittle beer? Yes, I did. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, I made a Skittle beer for the fucking people listening to this shit. Saying, "Marco, you fraud!" I did. I made a Skittle beer. But Let me explain. I think in your defense, you brewed that before, like some of these candy beers was even a thing, and it had no lactose in it. There's no lactose. It wasn't a slushy beer. It wasn't a fruited sour. It was a traditionally made sour that I did, that I actually barrel aged. Um, and With the I, Skittles? No, no, no. So I had the bright idea of uh, making um, a 15-gallon. No, I'm sorry. No, I take that back. It was a five-gallon batch of beer. Two gallons. I So I soured the whole thing. Two gallons mm-hmm. of it. I... Uh, just kept it as is and bottled it. I think I actually dry hopped it, if I remember correctly. And that beer, the base beer, was phenomenal. It was was so good. But the remaining three gallons, I separated into one-gallon jugs, and then I proceeded to add uh, all yellow Skittles, all red Skittles, and all green Skittles, I think it was. I I think it was green. Yeah. And... I don't know what the hell they did. If it's all the preservatives, all the just garbage that's in the Skittles completely dissolved into it. And so the the idea, so you guys have heard me talk about this. I'm going to catch flack. I already know. But I was looking at creating an interesting way of complementing the sour beer that I created. I wasn't trying to make a beer that tasted like Skittles. I was trying, trying to, to make Skittles. like a Sour Patch kit or something like that. Right. I wasn't trying to do that, but I get. I already know. But that... Whatever combo of that sour beer plus the Skittles was horrendous. It was terrible. It was so bad. Did not work. The base beer actually, I believe, one beer of the day at one of our meetings on its own. With the Skittles, people, like, it tasted like vomit. It was terrible. It was awful. Yeah, it was. I, I, 
I don't remember exactly what it tasted like other than it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, anybody who's listening to this podcast that's had it, uh, TJ, uh, Nick, the, you know, the doc, they, they're probably getting that like remnants of the vomit flavor in the back of their mouth thinking about the beers, how horrible it was. Oof. Uh, worst thing for me, um, back when I was brewing with some friends of mine, uh, at my buddy's place, you know, we were doing like partial mash on the stovetop. So mostly like extract and all the fermenting happened at his place, but we brewed a beer that we ended up calling the Doppelbach incident and it was infected. It got this weird tang to it. It was, it tasted awful, but they were, my friends were at least in that stage of, of brewing where you drank what you brewed, no matter what it tasted like. And oh, so yeah. we were all at my place. Keg was on my back deck. I had maybe six or eight ounces and called it and moved on to something else. But they finished the keg probably about, I don't know, eight or ten of them. And every single one of them got sick. And, you know, one of them was, you know, puking out his car on the drive home to Andover, like underneath the uh, 93 overpass. Yeah. It was just a bad night for all of them. So that was probably the worst thing we ever brewed. We should have dumped it out, but they, they insist we brew it, we drink it. Yikes. Uh, what is your favorite homebrewing mod or hack? Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite hack, I'd say, uh, in my earlier brewing days, before homebrewing got a little bit more sophisticated, is I, I remember when I would brew heavier hopped beers, my you know crappy plastic auto siphon used to get plugged mm-hmm. all the time it was like such a pain in the ass sure and um i forget who who showed it to me but uh, somebody said if you think about your auto siphon that plastic auto siphon has that little black cap at the end of it that if you removed that black cap you put the siphon into a small little tupperware cup like a little mm-hmm. shallow tupperware cup and then you wrapped it with a hop bag and like mm. put an elastic across the top and put that into your you know, New England IPA that's crazy hopped. It allowed you to pull all the beer without it getting clogged and stuck all the time and also didn't have that bag suction to the siphon because it created right. this little pocket where everything could drain into it and mm-hmm. suck out. And it worked amazing. And like I... I Almost would, you know, my brewing techniques have changed since then. But as a novice brewer that was learning all these extra uh, techniques, that one was a lifesaver because it sucked getting that siphon clogged all the time. Oh, for sure. Um, hmm. So I'm going to go with a mod, which is I have drilled some serious holes into my spidles big plastic hdpe fermenters which scares the shit out of me to actually do it but i've mounted uh coils and all stainless steel coils on all of my spidles um, i have two of them so they're fully glycol chilled um just like my you know ss brutech and spike fermenters so i have a couple of coils that i'm uh I haven't actually done that mod yet, but I've I've prepared myself to actually do it. And I can't wait because it's so, it's so awesome. 
Yeah, and then I picked up, uh, I think it's NorCal Brewing makes some, like, adapters for the little orange, you know, for the the uh, outport on the bottom of the spidal. Yeah. So I've got a stainless steel dip tube that goes down to the middle, but it also has the uh, the thermal well built in. I, I, I My uh, spidals already have that. Yeah. Yeah, so that so, I did, that was the first thing I did with those, which was awesome. And then, uh, and then I got the, I think it's, I think the ones I have are from Stasis. Okay. Whoever yeah. the guys that made Stasis are, I can't even remember who the hell makes the Stasis thing, but they have their coil that you can, oh, it's the craft of brew guys. Okay. Uh, cause they, they, um, what, the craft of brew fermenter that they had, what was that thing called? Do you remember what that thing was called? Mm-mm. It's like that three-piece fermenter. It was like a little conical and had like the little tube thing that you put a mason jar on the bottom. God, what the hell is oh, that? Oh, fast. F- was that like fast ferment or something? No, or? but it's similar to that. Okay. God. Anyway, they made the stasis, which is their uh, glycol chiller. And then when right. they came up with the stasis, they had uh, a new lid that had their coils. And then they sold the coil separately that you can drill out other fermenters right. and add it to it. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I took my... Um the coil for my SS Brutex, speaking of scary, and uh, it was in mounted in the lid of my SS Brutex conical, and I got the drill bit from SS Brutex, the very specific like seven millimeter yeah. drill bit, and I marked the sides of my conical and drilled holes in the sides of it, Oof. and uh, it worked. There's no um, no leaks or scary anything, though. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 What is your favorite ballpark or stadium beer? Yeah, this is interesting. So uh, I normally would have said Sam Adams. Like regular Boston Lager? Just regular Boston Lager. All right. Uh, but recently I was, at, I was at Fenway Park a week and a half-ish ago, and they had Whirlpool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was 16-ounce can. Now, granted, it was 12 bucks a fucking can, which is like, I mean... Is what it is versus eleven dollars <laughs> for a bud. So, uh, but they had yeah. sixteen ounce cans of Whirlpool, and I love Whirlpool. And in that setting, it yeah. was awesome. So yeah, if yeah. I could find Whirlpool at stadiums more often, then that would be mm-hmm. the one for me. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I'm going to go with uh, same thing at Fenway Park. They have Jack, or at least last year and a couple years before, they had Jack's Abbey House Lager. It's one stand out in the outfield. You got to go hunting for it. Um, but even that, going to Fenway in the fall, you gotta get uh, Sam Oktoberfest. Oh yeah, in the fall. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite pub game? Ooh, um, I love playing cards, um, but I don't know that you it's play really cards a really game. in pub games. Yeah, it's not really no, a pub game. So I guess it would be probably darts or pool i I, they're probably on a level playing field yeah all right i think i'm gonna go with darts or shuffleboard those are those are mine i'm not very good at either but (laughs) well when you're drunk you're great at everything oh yeah for sure uh what is your favorite american swill pbr pbr okay i think uh I think like a Coors Light. No, Miller Light. Probably Miller Light. Oh, is, God. Is champagne of beers. It's, it's No, that's not the champagne. That's uh, Oh, that's just Miller. Miller High Life is a champagne yeah, of beers. Yeah, yeah, 
I, yeah, I, yeah, I can't I do, remember the last time I had a Miller High Life. It's probably been a long time. I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, to take us a little bit off topic. I guess if we were going for like the big three, is that Bud, mm-hmm. Coors, Miller. Bud Miller, Coors, yeah. I, Coors Banquet is probably my number one, followed by Miller, followed by Bud. Bud Heavies. Okay. Bud Heavies. Yeah. Who, was it Tim? He brought some Bud Heavies to your, uh, to one of your meetings, like during, like right at the end of COVID, well, end of COVID, like 2020 sometime, uh, when we finally got meetings going. And uh, I, I hadn't had a Bud Heavy since college, and that was way better than I remember it. I, uh, you know how Night Shift made their like line? They made Night yeah. Light, Light Light, and then Night Night Heavy Heavy. Yeah, uh, we had we had a birthday party for my son uh, with all of our neighbors this past weekend and I stocked up on those cause I figured they'd be like beers that everyone would drink. And those night heavies, I was like, Hey, these are all right. I forgot they were, they're pretty good. Yeah. The night lights. I stock up on those in the summertime for parties. They're oh, easy. They're trick. I could beers. smash so many of those. Like, and it's, I guess it's supposed to be like a craftier version of Miller light. Maybe that's why I really like it. Mm. But, uh, all right. Well, that's the uh, that's the quick fire. Yeah. So so, so uh, one thing that we wanted to talk about, uh, and uh, you know, kind of fun that we got to get through that, and it actually took us way f- longer than it probably should have, considering there's just two of us. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, but something we have coming up is Big Brew Day, and I think this weekend. So you guys listening um, are going to be a bit behind but for a real time of us recording this we've got actual big brew day happening uh the first it's always the first weekend of may the first saturday of may uh, but we're doing our club's big brew day that's coming up uh in a, a couple weeks after that it's may 14th for us is yeah that? it's one week later yeah one week uh, so we're a week late whatever I, you know big brew day ha always schedules it that first weekend of may and it always falls on mother's day weekend and it's just like that's a real tough weekend to get a bunch of people together to brew beer together yeah and well um in in prior years it's also been because uh, my son's birthday is may 4th uh star right. wars day and so when we've tried to schedule it, it's like yeah phil does can't. he have a does he have a star wars themed birthday party or is he like kind of over it no yeah he's he's actually because he's he's just turning seven so he hasn't really dove into star wars as much what? as i'd like him to um uh, but he uh he's he's definitely where i've been trying to convince him that every may 4th on his birthday we watch at least one of the installments of star wars so we're getting right, it. we're working, we're yeah, working yeah. on it well take you a while take you six years or no uh nine years yeah, I'm not sure three of them qualify, um, but so big brew day for us. You know, AHA kind of puts out their recipes. They've got a an American lager. They've got a porter, um, and we're not doing those. Well, I don't we're, think we've ever really followed their recipe or the their suggestion for big brew day. We've always kind of done our own thing, but yeah. we're doing something kind of fun and unique this time. So, and you organized it, so I'd love for you to share with everybody what we're doing. Yeah, so we're doing a, I guess we'll call it a Chopped style event. So Chopped is that show on Food Network where uh, there's some randomly 
selected ingredients that uh, everybody is getting. And we try. We did do this a couple of years ago, where um, folks got a what was it like a specialty malt, an adjunct, and a hop, or something like that, and you had to yep. go build your recipe from there. Um, this year, we kind of mixed it up, added to it, and we decided to go with you get five randomly selected ingredients, and it's one from each of the categories: base malt, specialty malt, adjunct, hop, and yeast. And the idea is you make up a recipe using at least four of the five ingredients. And you can use other ingredients as you need to, but you've got to use four of the five. Which I think if you're not using all five, you're going to get a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. Especially the sentiment that everybody shared when we had this conversation. We were like, use four out of five bonus points if you use five. And everybody's like, oh, I'm using five. So if you're that one person that doesn't. Ooh. Yeah. Well, until like the selections happen and then everybody's kind of thinking, oh, uh, what am I going to do there? Um, so we kind of had a we had a list of, say, 10 ingredients for each one of the categories and tried to get it. Um, you know, the malts and um, are probably kind of standard issue what they were. Yeasts were kind of standard issue. I think we only put like one lager in there because not everybody has the ability to lager. Didn't want to be an asshole about that. Um Hops tried to pick hops that were, you know, maybe a little more off the beaten path versus just kind of like East Kent Golding or Cascade um, or Galaxy, Citra. And then the adjuncts were kind of your standard issue stuff. But, you know, we used a random number generator for each category and basically, um, you know, kind of had it all programmed out on a spreadsheet. So when you plugged in the random number, it, it popped up with the uh, ingredients. So, you know, just as a couple examples, a couple guys in the club are brewing together. They got American Six Row, wheat. Okay, not a bad combo. Maple syrup. All right, that's getting interesting. Pacific Jade hops, which is another New Zealand hop. And then Scottish ale yeast. And you, they can use any of the Y yeast or White Labs or Imperial, you know, varietals of that, you know, same kind of. Scottish ale or Edinburgh ale yeast, but that's um, that's going to be a tough one. I've been trying to think about what they might go and brew with that. They got to come up with their own recipe. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, you know, there were we we did talk a little bit about how obvious the ingredients have to be. Like we we wanted people to really challenge themselves, and you know, if, you know, putting in uh, you know a a teaspoon of maple syrup into a five gallon batch probably doesn't quantify using the ingredient, although technically you are. Right. Uh, so we're hoping folks will, will challenge themselves. But honestly, uh, you know, when I think of that, what you just mentioned, so you got six row wheat, maple syrup, Pacific Jade hops, and Scottish ale yeast, I probably would make some IPA out of this. Hmm. Uh, because... Maple syrup, honestly, if you add it at the end of your boil, it's going to pretty much ferment out. Uh, yeah. So you're not going to get a ton of it. You could get really wonky and do something with it, but but honestly, you could get the body of uh, of of the wheat into an IPA. Six rows an interesting uh, play there, but Pacific Jade, it's a New Zealand hop, should have some good characters there and. Honestly, yeah. a Scottish ale yeast is basically an English strain. It's not, yeah. it's nothing that different. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the other ones was Golden Promise, Carafa uh, 2 or 3, Peppers, and we just left it at that so they can go and pick whatever pepper they want, Pacific Jade, and California Ale Yeast. So that, that you know, California Ale, easy, clean fermenting, Golden Promise, good, you know, simple base malt. If you listen to our base malt show, you know all about it. Um, but the Carafa 2, Pacific Jade and Peppers, that could be a very interesting yeah, that one, combination. That one can certainly be tough. Uh, we, now, we didn't tell people they couldn't add ingredients, so you're not right. stuck with just this. Exactly. But couldn't you see, like, you know, those guys doing, like, some sort of horchata-style stout? Yeah. That could yeah, totally absolutely. work. Yeah. The, yeah, the Pacific sure. Jade is a real challenging one in right. that, but using it as a bittering hop, mm-hmm. uh, it could work. So you're going back to the six-row wheat maple syrup with the Pacific Jade and Scottish Ale. Like, you could take that maple syrup and maybe, like, go, like, for an invert sugar, which is a thing in the UK, and you could make a, a traditional UK-style beer just by using your Pacific Jade as a bittering hop. Um. But then, uh, so the next one we're going to talk about, uh, Vienna as the base malt, Crystal 80 or 120, Coffee, Pacific Jade. This Pacific Jade showed up a lot in the random number generator. I don't know what was up with Google that night. And um, American Ale Yeast, so just Chico. And so that one, again, with that Pacific Jade thread in there, the rest of it is kind of... You could come up with a real nice, uh, you know, coffee beer of some variety, but uh, that Pacific Jade, man. Yeah, that one, it is a tough one. I mean, I think we when we did the coffee and beer episode mm-hmm. for the podcast, like that's where you could, if you found the right strain of coffee, that yep. you could actually, you know, complement or work really well with Pacific Jade. You could probably do some something really interesting from like a white stout perspective, mm-hmm. a white tropical stout, or could be interesting. Yeah. The, the last one you have on this list though, is the one that is like out there. Oh yeah. To me, it's like that. I would, it's a tough one. So that one is, uh, which we'll throw out there. This is, uh, Dana's got this one. So Dana's been our, he brewed a pizza beer once for, um, home, uh, America, uh, uh homebrew con. So if you went to homebrew con in 2019 in Providence and had pizza beer, this is Dana's uh, American Six Row, Oats, Coriander, Sriracha Ace, and British Ale Yeast, or, or just White Labs 007. Uh, yeah, Coriander and Sriracha Ace. Yeah, that's those are the ones that, you know, and I guess, I guess it depends where on the Sriracha Ace spectrum you fall on, right? So right. some people get like... Um, huge lemon character out of sriracha mm-hmm. others I, me i get dill pickle out of it so mm, I, i'm on okay. that dill pe- pickle sp- uh, spectrum and i can't fathom coriander and dill like it seems so right. bizarre to me yeah yeah but you know this kind of this whole concept uh and i think we've got like 12 brewers who are doing this so we got 12 different combinations um this whole concept really kind of forces folks out of their comfort zone, really thinking how to use not only these ingredients, but you know, you get the rest of the brewing ingredient world to, to support you. 
Um, but you just can't, the idea is not to bury some of these into the, to the background, but, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and so we're going to, most of us are brewing together. Some of us are not, I'm not, I'm brewing electric, so I'm going to brew on a different time, but, uh, most everybody's coming over. We're going to do it at my house, um, out on the driveway, um, <clears throat> should be a blast. And, uh, you know, we'll probably be doing some video and some, uh, social media posts during the day on our different social handles. So definitely check those out during big brew day. And then, uh, yeah, I think in probably the June meeting or maybe the July meeting, we'll get to start tasting some of these. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we, you had mentioned before we did this once before and people got some pretty bizarre combinations the last time we did this. Yeah. Uh, and, but people were super creative and it, this did exactly what we wanted uh, for folks was, uh, you know, challenge them to think outside the box and push some boundaries of creativity. And it did that. I can't wait to see what people come up with. You know, some of the examples we talked about, uh, you know, just now are probably the obvious route. There's going to be somebody on this list that says, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do the obvious beer. I'm going to do something way out there. And I think that will be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. So yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. Maybe uh, you know out on our socials and and uh, maybe out in the future we'll uh, maybe talk some more and see what po what folks actually did brew. Um, could be a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, let's um, let's jump over to a judging segment, uh, Marco. This is a beer that I think is going to be totally up your alley. So let's go uh, jump in with Nick and and judge some beer. You've heard us talk about them on our podcast, our local homebrew stores offering the listeners of Strike Mash Boil an awesome deal on their first order online or in person. Beer Wine Hobby at 87 Andover Street in Danvers, Massachusetts is our go-to homebrew store. They have everything you need to brew a batch of beer, wine, or cider. They have more than 100 fresh grains, all the classic and new world hop varieties in a variety of sizes, and yeast from White Labs, Y Yeast, Imperial, and Omega. So for listeners of Strike Mash Boil, use promo code MVPOD to get 10% off your first order. Go to beer-wine.com to get started. That's MVPOD. Time for this week's beer review. Yeah, this is a really interesting style. The Doc, our national recognized BJCP judge. And honestly, I had no idea what the style was uh, for quite a long time. British bitter is one of those styles that's really hard to find here in the United States. If I was going to give this a score, are we really taping this right now? Yeah, we really yes, are. Of course. Yeah, yeah. We like when the Doc gets a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but the, the, the cherry is super prominent, really there. Uh, really impressive nose on this one. Uh, Time for this week's beer review. Each week, we're going to review a beer submitted to us by a member of the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, or in this case, one of our listeners. Our guest judge is going to walk through the judging process as if this were a homebrew competition. In this week, it's 34C Experimental. Base beer is Imperial Stout, and there are 40 ingredients. Did you say 40? Four zero. So Wait, 40? Uh, 40. So uh, I got the full list here. It includes all the, the water salts and all that stuff, but Maris Otter Flaked Oats, Dark Brown Sugar Lactose, Midnight Wheat, Crystal 120, Crystal 80, Kara 2, 
chocolate malt, CTZ hops, darkness yeast. Graham crap. Okay, here's the darkness mash. yeast? Yeah. Uh, that's an imperial. It's like, yeah. Oh. All right. Now, in the mash was added graham crackers, chocolate uh, Teddy Grahams, Golden Grahams, Cocoa Pebbles, chocolate Cheerios, pretzels, chips, vanilla, almond, granola, time out. s'mores. Time out. Hold on. Hold on. Just chips. We don't know what chips. that is. Chips. Nope. I, it doesn't say Lay's. It doesn't say Pringles. Uts. It doesn't say what it is. It doesn't matter at this yeah. point. Vanilla, almond, granola, s'mores, Pop-Tarts, and chocolate Manolo, uh, Milano. Sorry. Uh, in the boil, <laughs> we have honey, fluff, almond joy, lint fluff. chocolates, Kit Kats, and Hershey Kisses. And then during fermentation, we have almonds, cocoa nibs, marshmallow, coconut, Madagascar vanilla beans, and Ugandan vanilla extract. So 40. This was a... a well, yeah. So it's 40 ingredients. <laughs> Nick's just Marcus, leaving. Yeah. Nick's, Nick's out. Well, so 40 ingredients. On. Yeah. That's that's the beer. So this is, uh, I mean, I didn't even read pastry. Uh, I didn't le- read lactose. So it's not really a pastry stout. Well, I mean, no, it, but it what probably is. This, is was this like, that. I've just got a bunch of shit that I'm trying to get rid of Well, in my so I got a little more info. So it was uh, called 40 for 40. It was for our 40th birthday party. It was intended to be over the top. Uh, and then when it says, when I was working on this and listening to the podcast, this is the one I wanted you guys to review. Have fun. My feelings will not be hurt. It's a celebratory beer. Uh, I look forward to Marco. Okay, ready? Here we go. I look forward to Marco's thrill of discovering he had to drink an absurd beer. I mean, do you want me me to start? No, hold on a second. Wait a second. I I just tasted it. And I'm sorry, whoever this is. It's fucking terrible. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's it's salty. I, I, I find it, it is a little salty. Oh, I find it salty. It just tastes like marshmallow fluff to me. It's got chocolate. It's got cinnamon. It's got. I get the cinnamon. Yeah. I get the chocolate. Half the ingredients I can't taste. No. Well, you weren't. You weren't going to though. No. Right. But it's literally like a briny. It's like a wonky seawater chocolate salted For caramel beer, kind of thing. For me. For what it is, and uh, did we get an ABV this, out of this? For for beer, that much stuff, it's actually surprisingly <coughs> drinkable. I no, we did not get it's a, so like we we t- other than imperial stout. I don't have any. Um, there's no notes on ABV. Uh, it's surprisingly thin. It's like really thin. It, right, so that's what I was about now, to say. Now that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. That it's not like this syrupy. But that's from I, that's from all of the stuff he threw in, all those carbohydrates. They're all like. Well, it, yeah. I, this is. I, we don't and know. He says it was mashed at 158 and boiled for four hours. That's nuts how thin that is. Then. Yeah. Right, very. But, very, but, very but we, we, know, we know the size of the batch. Yeah. Do well. we know what size batch this was? Mm. <clears throat> Because, like, let's assume it's a five-gallon batch for the sake of the conversation. It's got to be, like, tiny amounts of every ingredient. Not necessarily. You could just win ham. I don't know. I mean, like, do, you, do you want me to, to judge this, or are we just going like, to? No, let's judge it. Okay, no, we fine. should judge That's it. what the segment's all, right, all about. So, let's judge it. So 30, is it 34C? Yeah. So 34C, experimental beer. So this is, uh, as I like to call it, the, the last frontier. So if your beer doesn't fit under any other style, you throw it under here. I mean, that's what 34C is for beers that you just can't categorize. And as Phil just, you know, read out 
a list, uh, a grocery list of uh, ingredients. Um, this isn't a beer you can really ca categorize. So um, anything could fit under here. I mean, I'm looking at like the descriptions of this of this um, style and aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel varies. That's that's it. Varies one word. So that, that gives you an idea about what, what this style encapsulates. Um, so yeah. So the beer itself, surprisingly. There's not much to the nose. Um, there's a little bit of chocolate, maybe a little bit of vanilla. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty muted, which is sh kind of shocking. I thought like the vanilla would really come through. Um, maybe the almonds. The almonds can definitely I, come well, through. I do I was smell almond, more like I, from the almonds, the cocoa nibs, the coconut, and the vanilla beans. All those coconut things that in went there. in. I'm surprised I don't get the, the fermentation. All those things I expected more of. And it's almonds or an almond extract? Almonds. Because and he was smells, specific about vanilla extract, so I would yeah. assume if he used because I, I get what um, what's the almond liqueur? Amaretto. So it does have it's reminiscent. The aroma is reminiscent of amaretto with a whole bunch of other stuff in there. Mm. So I, I don't get coconut at all, but I definitely get the amaretto. Part yeah. So I mean, the taste wise, um, I mean. There's there's an actual beer there. I mean, there's a base stout beer there for sure. Um, I think the issue is it's um, really thin, quite dry. I'm quite surprised how thin. It's real, but it but is. here's the thing: half those ingredients that you add, that he put yeah. in are fermentable, right? Oh, yeah. Half those ingredients have a salt content that is out of this fucking world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no wonder it tastes like that. I mean, yeah. it's, it, we shouldn't be surprised by no, this. Yeah. Well, and and I I should preface like. Um, when when you read the ingredients, I you would expect it's going to be one of those cloyingly sweet, like right. thick, syrupy, right. and it is bombs, and it not is not that at all. Any of those, but so I, I do understand what you're saying that there is a beer there somewhere. Oh, for sure, I think there is. But it is to me a mess of a beer. I don't think it's that bad. To me, I don't, I don't think. I mean, yeah. I just poured more. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, no, I, it's not pastry stout no, 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 no. So, it's not a pastry so stout. I, I need to be clear like I cannot drink more than a few ounces of a pastry stout because it's just too much for me sure I don't know that I could drink two ounces of this for because this is, is it just the to salt me. content it's yeah it's it's but it's like we, we talk a lot on the podcast about balance in beer and I find like no balance at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what direction the beer is going in. It's not overly sweet. It's not super thick. It's dry and, um, and thin, which is fine. I've had dry, thin stouts before and have not found them to be offensive. This just has a lot of different flavors that to me compete with each other. And it's just really out of balance. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. I mean, it, it's it's like um, like eating a, uh, I don't know, a really, I don't know, super sweet, salty, sour pickle or something. You know what I mean? Like the, the, right, flavor, the flavors clash. Yeah, you know, it does, right, it exactly. It's it's just, um, and and for that reason, like I couldn't pour a full pint of this and get through it. I couldn't I couldn't drink more than the sample yeah. that I've had. Yeah. 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 And so I mean, I'll just say like. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, the big flavors that come through, I mean, the first thing that came through for me was just the marshmallow fluff. That was the first thing that came in my head. But I think that along with that comes like the vanilla, um, yeah, a little bit of that, that saltiness. But yeah, the, the big thing for me was um, like how dry and thin it was. Um, I guess I wasn't expecting that with the, the, the ingredient list. And this is another example when you throw that many ingredients uh, and you submit that beer to a competition, if the judge isn't able to pick them out, 
and that maybe their expectations are, oh, I'll, I'll be able to pick all these out. This can be a big, you know, pastry stout and it tastes like this. Your beer is just going to get destroyed. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. You know, kind of tasting it, and we were talking about there's a little bit of spice or, or kind of something to it. I wonder if that came from some of the like Golden Grams, uh, that's what Golden I mean. Crapper, well, and Crackers, and Graham Crackers. They have too. salt. Yeah, they yeah, have all salt. those things. But not just the salt, but some of that, um, all that s- cinnamon. Right, well, all, on a lot of that, all the other, all other crap that goes into yeah. those products. I mean, that's going to go into the yeah. beer. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, and, and oftentimes, like when you hear, uh, you know, Phil and I, well, I, I won't speak for Phil. For me, uh, myself, uh, I've complained about pastry stouts and milkshake beers as just not being beer. I would call this a beer. Like I think, yeah. this is definitely a beer. Now, if you didn't know it had 40 insane ingredients in I would here. just think there was something wacky going on. Yeah. Like, like if you didn't tell me everything and I just nosed it and nosed it, I probably would say this, this is an almond beer because I get the amaretto. Mm. Like, that to me almond is Almond and cinnamon. Yeah, that, that's the dominant flavor yeah. of it. Uh, but tasting it, I would just say, like, it's just yeah. And I bet you beer. your water profile could be perfect going into the mash. But like we were saying, when you throw all that shit in there, not shit, but all that stuff in there, it's going to totally throw that water profile all out of whack. Hey, hey big ups to the brewer. I'm, I'm glad he did it. That's actually yeah. really, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I'm, I think it's interesting that he yeah. actually got a beer out of it because yeah. that is, that, that is a beer and I'm, I'm going to give it a score too. Yeah. No, okay. uh, and and uh, that, that's great. Cause that's what, that's why we're here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the success in this is that it is a beer. Yeah, like that to me is totally, totally the success. Like, um, I, I, I'd give more credit to this than Trillium's Tiramisu Stout. That to me is not a fucking beer at all. Um, so I think that that there's a lot of kudos there. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's way too out of balance, and there's a lot of competing flavors there that for me just don't work. Yeah. Uh, so overall for me, um, like I said, I think the base beer itself is, I think, really, really well brewed. But um, again, the dryness, um, how, how thin it is um, for, like, it's supposed to be an imperial stout, I guess. That's the idea. Yeah. Well, what's the ABV? Do we know what that is? We don't know what the ABV is. Okay. He probably doesn't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> or she. It could be a she. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the person doesn't know what the um, beer ABV is. So yeah, yeah. Um, so for those points and, and sort of like you said, like the wacky flavors, I mean, the, the, it, it is a little bit briny um, and the flavors are a little bit out of whack. But like I said, I think the beast beer is there. I think it's well brewed. Um, for me, um, this is a 28, which okay. by the way, is a good yeah. score. It's not yeah, a bad. Yeah. Well, I, so uh, uh, there, uh, to the point, I mean, you get credit because it's, it seems to be brewed well. Uh, so there's, I no, would say there's no fermentation off flavor. Yeah, I would say there's no, there's no off, there's no uh, acetaldehyde, there's no phenolics. DMS, there's no phenolics. Yep. Like, like it seems like a properly fermented, well brewed beer. So yeah. for sure, yeah. like all those flavors that we have is just the mosh pit of stuff yeah. that we've added to it in different phases. Yeah, and you know what was in the email to us is it's a 40th birthday beer intended to be fully cleanly, you know, clearly over the top and ridiculous. And it was submitted purely for, 
his enjoyment of us experiencing this beer. Sounds like a midlife crisis. Um, to yeah. Me. Yep. I would say he, th- this person has accomplished those goals. <laughs> I would so agree with that. Yeah. It is a ridiculous over the top beer. Yeah. Um, I'm glad he did it. Yeah. He or yeah. she. And, uh, yeah. So Bob does beer things. Oh, thank that's you who for it this is. beer. Oh, yeah, yeah, our guy. So Bob, uh, thank you for, uh, sending this beer into us. Uh, really appreciate it. Which by the way, the packaging was ridiculous. I got to show you guys the box. It was insane. Um, so, uh, Bob, thank you very, very much. And uh, if you'd like your uh, uh, like to have your beer judged by the crew here at Strike Mash Boil, uh, get in touch with us on social media, and we can uh, either, if you're local, you can drop it off here, or uh, you can mail it to us. Um, so that's it for this week. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. If you like what you've been hearing on our show, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast service. And if you have any ideas or feedback for us, leave us a review or shoot us a DM on Instagram at StrikeMashBoil. Or join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. Okay, and we are back. Uh, Marco, 40-ingredient Imperial Stout. Still shaking my head. Now, that beer, um, you know, we kept talking about it even after we finished taping. Um, not taping. Nobody uses tape anymore. But <laughs> uh, after we finished recording, uh, to the point that, uh, you know, we did have the, you know, we usually ask for two bottles just to make sure that we've got uh, you know, if there's an issue with the first one or whatever, uh, we brought it to our most recent club meeting and we shared it with, uh, the guys in the club and yeah, I mean, it's a beer for sure, but I think the sentiment was similar to what folks just heard in the tasting. Um, you know, nobody thought it was overly offensive although i think i reacted kind of offensive <laughs> but nobody nobody found it so offensive and especially when you when you get that ingredient list read to you like everybody as you're reading it to them at the meeting had that same response like what the fuck but like we said on the podcast uh, it was more reminiscent of beer than some of the pastry souts we've had for sure uh, it's just you know, was lacking some of the balance and, and some of those things, but, but it was a fun beer to share with the guys. It was like really interesting to see how people were reacting and how the beer, that preconceived notion that we all had when we heard the ingredient list mm-hmm. uh, and how the beer just came across totally different as what we expected. But what was really cool about that, uh, you know, sharing it with the group, the crew was all of the conversation it sparked of, how to actually maybe do it better. What what could have been done a little differently to make the beer even better than it actually was? Yeah, everybody picked up on salt. Like everybody yeah, was yeah. like, oh man, all those ingredients, they all have salt. It's all salt. And it was like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of briny. Like, and people were like, oh yeah, maybe that's what it is, you know? Yep. Yeah, but there's, it was a little thin and uh, a couple folks were talking about, you know, maybe mash temperatures or, trying to use uh, the lactose or something to really kind of boost up the body um, to, so it wasn't so thin. Um, 
so yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a fun conversation we had with folks. Yeah, and that's what led us to thinking about this segment uh, that we're about to do, which is uh, some troubleshooting things. We you know we were talking about this beer that we had and and sparked this conversation of all the things that people could do uh, to maybe enhance it or change it or do things a little bit different. That it got us thinking about some of the challenges that folks run into. Uh, either during a brew day or throughout the brewing process that we thought we'd share some tips uh, for some common uh, troubleshooting challenges that people run into. Yeah, so we kind of scoured our um, Facebook group, The Public Side, and looked at some questions that folks ask, not all the time, but often enough that they they pop up occasionally. And uh, so we kind of picked the top five issues that people seem to keep bringing up um and not just in our public group but on other facebook groups and i've seen them you know on some of them all the time um so the first one we've got is that uh you got your beer in your keg you got it carbonated um you've got it connected up to a picnic tap or to your uh, keg uh, kegerator faucet and beer doesn't pour yeah this is a fun one i've i've run into this a few times oh for sure me too and you know it's it's for me it's usually happened uh, when I've kegged and we're trying to pour a really hopped up IPA. Yeah, uh, and it's basically what's happening is uh, you've got all of this matter and uh, uh, hop hop bits that are falling to the bottom of the keg as it's getting cold and are getting sucked right into that dip tube and are either clogging the dip tube itself clogging Mm -hmm. the post uh that's on your keg or the faucet itself right Uh, and and you know i actually was having a conversation with somebody not that long ago about this instance and there was a few things that i had suggested uh to try the 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 first one was uh and and this should be obvious for for folks when you're going to start tinkering with things disconnect the your liquid line disconnect your gas line mm-hmm. like make sure things are not connected when you start taking things apart because oh and the next one is and i've seen somebody say like oh and i made this mistake they didn't depressurize their keg oh, another good one before they undid or started taking the uh liquid post off yeah that's a, it's a great way to make a mess <laughs> oh for sure uh so so what i had suggested was take your faucet apart Mm-hmm. Uh, and and see what's clogging up. If there's something clogging up your faucet, chances are if you made a really hoppy IPA, you probably got a bunch of hop gunk inside your faucet that you want to clean out. Now that's not the end of your problem because uh, yeah. you know you're you're sucking in all of this hot matter. So uh, the first thing I usually suggest in this scenario, once you got everything cleaned up, is to actually connect your gas line to your liquid outpost. Uh, right. Crank up the pressure a little bit, but don't just take that gray ball lock and throw it on the right the liquid. Right. You got to swap it over to the to the black liquid one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, because you need it to fit over the post properly. Yeah, and, uh, I think and one of them will get stuck on there if you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the ass to get it off. Uh, yeah. So that will what what to do is once you're pushing CO two down through the dip tube, you could maybe move some of the sludge out of the way and move some of the hot matter out. And if it, if you don't have a severe clogging problem uh, from that point, if you hook everything up 
the way you uh, normally would and run a couple of pints off, uh, you're probably in good shape. But there are instances where you've got a pretty significant um, buildup of uh, you know, matter at the bottom of your keg. And this is a bit of a, a wacky uh, tip, but it's totally worked for me. All right, going back to depressurize everything, take everything apart, and um, clean out your faucet. You want to do that all again. Uh, but I su- so I suggest removing your liquid post entirely. Okay. So you just have the little screw piece left. Yeah, yeah. Open hole screw piece. And grabbing a silicone tube, jamming it on there, putting the other end of your silicone tube into a bucket, and then... Oh. Um, Attaching Put your some gas light to pressure on, yeah, attaching some pressure to it to pull some of that sludge out. I should preface by saying that what you would do is, you know, when you've cleaned everything out, is leave your keg actually in the fridge for three or four days, uh, because all this other stuff that you've done is mixed things up. So mm-hmm. let things settle out again, let things fall to the bottom, and then do that process. And you should again run off a few pints of just direct sludge from the bottom of your keg out and that usually does the trick right i have done something somewhat similar uh where i've used a picnic tap but rather than um slam a piece of silicone over the open bit the the poppet that goes in the middle of the gas post yeah I remove the poppet in the spring, the things that get clogged. Yep. So now you've got your gas or your liquid post, I mean, your liquid post sitting there with nothing in it. You put that, you know, screw that back on, but open. Take the little spring and um, I don't know what that little part is called, but the little white or clear plastic part in the middle of your yep. um, call, ball lock call it connector. a nipple or something. Nipple yeah. maybe. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Take that out of your ball lock connector. Then you can seat that over it. It will, you know, stay open now. And then you can use a picnic tap to do exactly what you say or suggested. Um, And then, uh, you know, to keep this from happening again, other than, you know, trying not to get all that shit into your keg to begin with, uh, one thing to look at is a floating dip tube. Um, So there's some really great floating dip tubes out there, some of which that even have little screens on them. Um, that uh, that way you're picking up beer from the very very top, um, or you can also get I think it's um, the Electric Brewery makes a little keg screen that goes on the very very bottom of your keg and your dip tube goes into that. Um, Is that the one that slides that little screen that slides over the dip tube? Yeah, yeah. yeah that one I don't know how much I trust because yeah. I, I feel like those screens are just poised to get themselves clogged. Yeah. Um, what you might want to also think about too is just when you're transferring uh, into your keg, if you have a method of uh, you know minimizing the amount of hot matter that goes into the keg too. What was what's that? Because um, you can get some of those like inline filters. What, the, what was that one called? Oh, yeah. Tim's got one that's like it looks like he bought it from NASA. Um, oh yeah, but uh, yeah, there's ones that are. You're thinking of the little the white plastic that one. That little right? white plastic one. It's just a yeah. simple inline uh, and filter and it has two different, different screen sizes. Yeah, a yeah. couple different screen sizes. And that usually does a trick. And you can actually uh, put a couple of them in a row where you're doing the 
uh, mm. larger micron to the smaller micron screen. Yep. And you just got to be careful down. of um, oxidizing those. Make sure that you either purge it fully with CO2 or yep. dump maybe the first pint or two coming out of that filter before you connect it to your keg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, especially with an IPA. All right. Coming up next, Stuck Mash. Yeah. This is the worst. Yeah. Stuck Mash is the yeah. worst. All right, you're up first. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, so uh, we, we people I'm sure on the podcast have heard us give Dana Collins a lot of shit for rice hulls, but uh, if you've never had a stuck mash, buy yourself some rice hulls, use them as a precaution. They work great. So just try to avoid having a stuck mash to begin with. If you're using anything that has flaked anything in it, um, mm-hmm. do yourself a favor and use rice hulls. We do have guys in this club that will swear to never use them regardless. Uh, but once you've had that first stuck mash, um, you'll, you'll definitely want to do something different. Uh, now, this one's really tricky uh, because uh, when, once your mash gets stuck, it is not exactly the easiest thing to pull good liquid from there. Um, if you have... Uh, this is going to go against if Mike Switzer's listening, Mike, I'm sorry. I apologize ahead of time. This is adding oxygen. I get it. You shouldn't do that. But if you have a way to blow air into the tube that's going through your valve at the bottom of your mash tun to just push stuff out, uh, that uh, most of the time does the trick. But for you Lodo guys, no bueno <laughs> on mm-hmm. that one. Um, so that's that's normally the method that I've used is, is having a way to, to force air on what would normally be the out tube uh, back into the mash tun and creating some separation and space for stuff to uh, get on through. Uh, the other thing that I've done uh, that I just is like the bane of my existence and is a last resort is have found ways to uh, pull liquid from the top of my mash ton and those that have done a turbid mash uh before uh, one of the methods that you do to pull a little bit of wort out of your mash ton is you take a colander and push it into the top of your uh, grain bed and you're removing liquid that way and that's something that you can do where you're taking a colander and you're pushing it into it and then using an auto siphon uh, and pulling that liquid out and probably running it through some sort of screen uh, no, regardless of what method you use, at least the ones that I've tried, uh, you're introducing oxygen, you're splashing yep. stuff around. It's not a perfect process. It's messy and it sucks, but it's uh, a lot better than just dumping everything. And I've, I've uh, gotten around or fixed, you know, the occasional time for me with, uh, you know, using some of my, you know, I'm a three vessel. I got pumps. Um, I take some of my, my sparge liquid and I'll run that up through the bottom. Um, and so instead of using air, like you were suggesting, I use my pumps and pump something up through basically under leading, uh, as part of, you know, with the stuck sparge and that usually kind of fixes it. And then at that point I'm tossing in uh, rice hulls or, uh, or just slowing everything down, um, you know, and then trying to figure out what the hell I did wrong. Did I, you know, mash too quick? Did I try and, you know, draw off too fast? What was I, you know? They get too sticky, whatever, you know. But um, yeah, that one's a pain in the ass, and um, 
I know like Rick with his one barrel system, that's uh he he I think would just rather cry than try I, and deal with it. I would never not use rice hulls just yeah. because I can't imagine what it would be like to have yeah. a barrel of stuck mash. Like I can't I'm just yeah. I just couldn't. And you know, I've never I've um I've conditioned my grain a lot and every time I condition my grain I've I mean you know I don't know for reels if this is a deal but I have done it with big adjunct beers when I condition my grain I never have a stuck mash I've never had any issue where it was about to get stuck where I could notice the flow was going weird um and you know I've noticed the the way the grain uh crush is those the hull the husks of the barley kind of stay together rather than kind of shredding out they become you know big huge kind of torn chunks of husk and uh makes for a really clean you know runoff so grain conditioning is one thing to look at you know if you don't want to do rice hulls i don't know what people have with not doing rice hulls that is Um, weird complex yeah unless it's a uh ryan heights thing that God forbid you put rysols in the beer. Um, all right, you've uh, you got your beer done. You've boiled it. You moved it to the fermenter. Pitch your yeast. You come back a day or two later, and it doesn't seem to be fermenting. Yeah, this one. This is a good one uh, because, especially for a lot of uh, more novice brewers, uh, folks that haven't uh, had a ton of experience. Uh, you, you may not realize what's actually happening because you're depending on this the actual site of fermentation. You're looking for that airlock to be uh, to be moving, yeah, the to bubbles. be moving, and you don't see it. And you're like, it's not working. Something's wrong. Uh, so the first thing that I would absolutely say to you is, uh, you shouldn't be uh, relying solely on a bubbling airlock uh, to. Uh, determine whether or not your beer is fermenting. The way to do it is to know what your starting gravity <coughs> is and then mm-hmm. taking subsequent gravity readings to see if there is change uh, in the gravity of the beer. That's how you know things are going on. Uh, but there's a few reasons, at least, that I've experienced that your beer actually wouldn't be fermenting or uh, that you wouldn't be seeing activity in your airlock. So the first one is you may not have a proper seal in your fermenter. Mm-hmm. So that the gases are escaping from some method other than your airlock. Air uh, so, so if you're used to using buckets, if you didn't clamp that lid down enough, there's mm-hmm. an area where the uh, air is going to pat the CO2 that's being di- um, dispelled by the fermentation is actually uh, escaping by other means. And that's happened to me a bunch of times. And even on big fermenters, and I'll throw uh, Tim out there. That this happened to Tim recently on his uh, with a beer with his uh, big spike fermenters and those lids you got to put them on just right. Um, you almost need just a little run of keg lube around the that rubber gasket. You got to get them on just so. Got to tighten it down just so. And uh, after that, I mean, it was rip roaring, you know. And I asked him why didn't you just take the lid off and look? And he was so paranoid about any oxygen getting in i think it was a new england ipa that he didn't even look to see if he even had a krausen going yeah and and that's a that's a shame because that's um if he does have an active fermentation there's so much positive pressure there that it's not gonna do anything yeah but um 
yeah get making sure that lid's on there uh tight um and then you know there is a lag phase especially with certain types of yeast so you know you may think oh well the last time i pitched you know chico or or london ale and it started ripping on in five six eight hours and now you hear two days later or a day and a half later and whatever it is isn't fermenting as quick especially if it's a lager yeast or a colder fermenting ale yeast those take a little while there is a lag phase you just gotta just gotta let them roll yeah and uh you could i mean if you don't have a method of good temperature control mm-hmm. and you're say fermenting in your basement and your basement is 64 degrees 63 degrees you know right. your standard ale yeast that likes 68 69 degrees is going to just take a little bit longer to um to get going or right. if you haven't stored your yeast properly you, know, you may have noticed when you go to the homebrew shop that yeast is stored in the refrigerator if you bought a kit and uh, you know I, I know people that again are were newer to brewing and buy a kit and have it delivered it sits out in the counter somewhere or in a pantry mm-hmm. for two months and then they go to brew and the yeast has been sitting at room temperature for a long time. You just might not have viable yeast anymore. Right. Uh, so knowing uh, the viability of your yeast, uh, if you haven't done starters before, thinking about doing starters, uh, really calculating uh, the cell counts so you're pitching the right amount of yeast, like all right. those things are going to be really helpful to make sure that your beer is fermenting. Yeah, and the yeast age you mentioned and doing starters, those are two real simple things that you can check in advance because you might just be pitched old yeast and it's got to build up its own cell count before it can really take off. And, you know, we've mentioned on the show before, making starters has never been easier than I think these days where all it takes is your pack of yeast into a can of... um, proper yeah proper starter or fast pitch and uh some water and you know follow the instructions and away you go and you don't even need a stir plate and a flask i mean you toss some yeast in in there into a big mason jar make sure that lid is on okay you don't want it on so tight that it's going to explode on you but nice clean sanitized mason jar do it the night before do what the um, probably the only thing that I totally 100% agree with from Brewlosophy, which is the Vitality Starter, which is really just wake your, your yeast up, um, definitely worth it. So now, Marco, you've got your beer fermenting, and away it goes, and then you're taking gravity readings, and you're, you're stuck, it seems, for a couple days that say 1020 or 1025. What do you do now? Yeah, this one is tricky. Uh, so th- there are there can be some similarities to what we were just talking about in the last one. Uh, so I'll probably start there. Uh, but chances are, if you're running into this uh, problem, you've encountered one of two things. You've either not pitched enough yeast that it's not able to really work down all of the sugar that's in that beer uh, the way that you want it to or uh, you've mashed at the wrong temperature and you've pulled too many unfermentables and quite frankly you're probably never going to get that um, <laughs> you're probably not going to get that gravity down unless you're doing something like 
blending it with uh, another beer. Uh, so what, what I would um, tend to do first in this scenario is build up a pretty big starter. So you've already pitched mm-hmm. yeast. It's come down to 1020. You're, you're now got to send in, uh, you know, the rest of the Spartan army. You've only sent in the 300. You got to send in the rest <laughs> of the army. Uh, so build up a, a pretty big starter, much bigger than you pitched the first time and pitch this just big starter on it and, uh, and, and hope that that gets it going and, and takes it back down. Um, something else to do too is you might have yeast that's there that's active that just needs a little bit of help so if you didn't use yeast nutrient to begin with that's okay you could start adding some simple sugars uh, to the beer Mm -hmm. to try to rouse that yeast and get it back up and 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 going again and even before some of those i would argue uh you know if you're still sitting at fermentation temperature if you have a way of warming it up several degrees, you know, if you're at 68, see if there's a way to get it up to 72, 74. Um, you know, it may have just kind of slowed down a little bit and just needs a little, you know, almost that, uh, um, what diacetyl rest, right? Yeah. It's um, funny. I, it I, um, uh, and every time that I've ever had this happen to me, raising the temperature has never been the solution. Oh, really? Yeah. And yeah. it's not to say it's certainly a viable step to take. Um, right. But in my experience, it just hasn't really worked out for me because I've usually just screwed something up. Well, like I've yeah. usually just didn't pitch enough yeast because yeah. uh, I, uh, you know, liquid yeast packs are often really tricky because liquid mm-hmm. yeast packs, uh, based on how old they are, you're really guessing on how much viable yeast is left in there. Mm-hmm. And then you're building up a starter and you're hoping that you get to the right numbers. Yeah. I've usually just miscalculated something yeah. or my mash temp was screwed up and I just mm-hmm. have way more unfermentable sugar than I wanted. And, you know, with that, so say you've gone through all these steps and um, you're basically stuck where you're at and you're at 1025 or whatever and so you have this kind of weirdly sticky sweet beer. All is not lost because you could could take that, put it into a carboy, and hit it with Marco's favorite, which are some bugs. Oh yes. If you're willing to to introduce Brett or something else into your to your brewery and your equipment, um, that is always an option. And uh, TJ, Carl, myself. That is our favorite way to do it because mm-hmm. we love those beers so much. And it's like, all right, I've tried all these different things. Nothing's working. Bread it is. We're making a new, uh, you know, yeah. uh, mixed firm beer. And, you know, just because you use Brett doesn't mean you're going to get some like crazy ass sour beer. There are some strains of Brett that are pretty restrained in what flavor profiles they produce. And so, you know, you can pick a know the kind of brett you're looking for um and in fact i think uh another guy in our club nate he brewed a was it a doppelbach i think last year and he saw he stalled at like 10 30 and uh he hasn't shared it with us yet he just Wait, bottled I thought it he did i thought he did did we try it yes did we try he it? did yeah and he okay. had uh i thought he just bottled it recently but maybe that was before no Everything's it was one that had like 
But he hit it with Brett, and it like fermented it had, all the way down. Yeah, it had an offensive name. The beer was wonderful. Was it, wasn't it in the advent calendar? No, but maybe it was at Joe's meeting in December. Yeah, there was a, it, it was maybe. a beer that Nate did that he added uh, Brett to it to save it. And it yeah. was a, a doppel, and I remember it being some funky name that I thought was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but it was uh I do I do remember now that we did have it and it was that was pretty solid. So you can you can save it um with some Brett. And you know, you're not gonna save it and have it ready for your buddy's wedding in three weeks. But um, you know, if you just you know, throw it in the corner, keep the keep some stuff in that airlock and uh you'll have something fun in a couple months. Yeah, and then the other extreme method I think we talked about uh, with some guys before that have encountered this is making a whole new batch of beer mm-hmm. and then blending them. Because if you're stuck yeah. at 1020 and you make a new batch of beer uh, that's at 1010, you're going to end up at 1015, which is probably pretty close uh, when you yeah. blend them together. And it usually works out okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, last one we're going to talk about is uh, kind of going back to that first one, beer won't pour from the keg. Well, now that you got it pouring, it's pouring foamy. Yeah. And this one is like on some of the, the Facebook groups I'm in, man, this is like a daily post uh, for folks. Yeah. Uh, beer and, and, pours and it's pure foam. And it's, it's uh, interesting because this one could be a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be uh, as simple. It could be literally as simple as your beer lines are just not long enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, and it's funny because there's a lot of contradictory information out there. Like you see, uh, Tim in our club has that little keg thing that literally has no beer line in it at all. It's just a yep. faucet attached right to a post. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but conventional wisdom is that you'd have a beer line that's what nine to twelve feet or something like that. Yeah, it depends also on your uh, the interior diameter of the beer line. That's right. And the material, because you're talking about the resistance on the flow of the beer. So when you have something that's been carbonated up at 12, 15 PSI, um, you know, say two volumes of CO2, and, you know, you have a picnic tap that's only, uh, say, two feet long, and that keg is going to pour really fast and you're probably going to get a ton of foam. And if you take that same picnic tap that maybe has a very large inner diameter and you swap it out for like the four millimeter inner diameter Eva barrier tubing and do like 12 foot lines to a faucet, it's going to pour maybe slow because you put too much resistance on it. So, you know, beer line selection, inner diameter, and the beer length or line length all make a huge difference. Totally. And and speaking about resistance is if you have a dirty beer line, so there's another mm-hmm. thing, you're creating uh, you know obstacles in which the beer has to pass through those lines which rouse the beer and create foaming. Yeah. So that's another thing that could be happening is you just have a dirty line. Mm-hmm. Dirty lines, dirty faucet. Um, and then... Uh, the other thing you could have is a temperature differential. Your keg is one temperature. Your beer line is maybe that same temperature. And then if you've got a tower on top and it's warm in the summertime, um, that 
faucet may be sitting at room temperature basically so it's in the 70s or 80s depending on where it is and, and what the temperature is in ambient and that beer maybe it takes the first pint to go through that and cool that whole all that stainless steel in that faucet to cool it down into the 30s and then your second beer pours perfect yeah, and it usually yeah. happens when you have a cold keg that's passing through a warm tower or some warm mm-hmm. line. Exactly, and and you you do often see it a lot when people get really creative with these, uh, you know, taps that they build. I there was um, at Homebrew Jamboree that we go to up at uh, Tamworth, New Hampshire, at the campground. Uh, one of the clubs, I forget which club it is, has uh, a, a basically a truck bed unit so they basically Mm -hmm. built this uh apparatus that goes in somebody's truck bed and they put all these kegs into buckets of ice but the lines are all just there i think they might be slightly insulated lines but they're all exposed to the elements yeah Uh, so you know you run into that temperature differential from cold to warm or cold to just warmer uh than what's in the the kegs and that certainly causes it and and it if you, when you see it in the opposite method, when you're going from warm to something that's cooling the lines, you don't see it. If you think about a jockey box, for example, right. where you have a keg that's just room temperature, but it's passing through 50 feet of line inside of your cooler that has ice in it, uh, and it's cooling that beer down, uh, you don't tend to see the foaming that way. Exactly, yeah. So... You know, a few easy things to go do there is, uh, you know, check your beer lines, maybe uh, upgrade to a different type of beer line, clean your beer lines. You know, when was the last time you cleaned them? Um, in fact, I'm probably due to clean. Oh, I'm so yeah. due. Oh, my God, I'm yeah. so due. Uh, the um, other thing really quick, too, is uh, just checking your connections. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you could even have um, a leak where, uh, as the beer is running through, it's pulling oxygen. Uh, mm-hmm. While it's pulling oxygen, if you're, um, uh, you know, posts your your um, liquid outpost is, uh, you know, the little screw part that's on the top of it isn't mm-hmm. fastened entirely, or you're missing that little gasket in there. Yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. you know, when you're cleaning those things out, that little oh gasket has a tendency to disappear. Mm-hmm. And if you know you lost it, you think it's in there, you put everything back together right. and it's actually got a little pocket of air that it's sucking in oxygen in there. Uh, yep. you know, that's going to create some foaming too. So definitely checking your connections, making sure everything's hooked up properly is a, another right. good way. And you can that's one that you're usually able to visually see. As the beer right. is running through, if you actually look at the connections, uh, you're able to see uh, a, an abnormality of the beer flowing in that area. Looks like there's bubbles in there and something's mm-hmm. out of whack. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to have to do this again because we got some more uh, troubleshooting options, but uh, this show's running a little long. So we're going to, we'll pick this up on another time. And, you know, if you guys have some questions for us, we can. Uh, you know, something that you've come across, feel free to hit us up on social media and we can, uh, maybe next time we do this show, this segment, we can, uh, use your, uh, troubleshooting issue or your, uh, suggestion. And we'll yeah. Drop us a show. voicemail. We want a voicemail. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us a voicemail. I think we got, I think we mentioned it before. We got one. We have um, one and so it was the, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I think that's it for this week. So, uh, 
like I mentioned before, uh, stay tuned to our social media channels because this week is Big Brew Day for us, at least the week we release this show. So, um, you know, stay tuned to those and we'll be posting a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, um, that's it for this week on Strike Mash Boil. And we will see you next time. I think next week is Brew Requisite and it's going to be Belgian Wits. So stay tuned for that. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MBHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at MVHBC.com. <laughs>